reading from Luke 24 and the road to Emmaus and uh, will come up on the screen as we read. This is part of our journey from Luke into Acts and looking at the end from the beginning. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem to not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures up to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus, be with us now as we hear all about you, as we learn more about you, as we live more like you. May your word be life to us and be with Andy as he speaks to us now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. And... uh, I think these these words in this passage are are intriguing, particularly this week, where uh, Luke opens with uh, two guys uh, walking along together, talking to each other uh, about everything that has happened. Uh, And then this third man, this mystery man, uh, joins them and asks what they're discussing. Their faces are downcast. 
And they say to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And it, it so parallels this week, doesn't it? Um, in everything that has happened uh, in, in Manchester that's impacted the UK, uh, everything that's happened in Egypt that impacts the whole world. You know, our faces are downcast about the things that have happened, the things that everybody is talking about. And there's a poignancy this week to these words, you know, with the, the threat level, a security level uh, up in the, the critical zone uh, for a time. And just a deplorable act of violence, which I think, you know, I was reflecting why has it affected me so much? Um, I think the targeting of young people and of kids uh, is just, you know, how can somebody be so deceived to think that that's okay? How can, how can a network of people uh, be so blind to think that that isn't, isn't an evil thing to do? And yet we live in a dark world. We live in a complex world. Uh, we live in the complexities of multicultural, multi-class uh, cities uh, that we find ourselves in. You know, we find parts of the city that are well off, parts that, that aren't, and there's poverty next door. Um, huge diversity across the city. But as people of light, uh, we're to be people that is desires and prays for the, the welfare of the city in the spirit of Jeremiah in 29 verse 11. So we're to be neighbors in the city. Um, we're not to be people who are just here for ourselves, self-serving, self-preserving, but actually we're here for one another. Um, cities are places not just to come to and move on from um, and to take what we want because it's just here for number one, but actually the places for us to contribute to and to live uh, as neighbors. And uh, we can be neighbours in our streets. When I came out of work the other day, I think it was Wednesday, I just took a few minutes just to chat to, I think he's a Saudi guy who lives next to Riverside House. Um, I asked him about his family. It was a longer conversation than I anticipated. He's got six amazing children um, that I learned about. So I, you know, I bigged up mine as well while I was at it. But um, you know, to be expressing that love and kindness and compassion to people, um, whoever the background is, whatever uh, their story is. And that was Jesus's story. Your neighbor is the Good Samaritan. It's the, it's the unexpected. It's the, it's the person perhaps that you don't na naturally um, see eye to eye with on things. But we're to be good neighbors across the city. It's not just about our area. It's about the whole of the city. It's about the entirety of the city. You know, finding ways to be good neighbors to the whole interest of the entire city uh, in, our, in our hearts and in our lives. You know, and even across the cities, to, be, you know, to have that thing that we sent to Manchester. You know, they are our neighbors today. Um, and to express that is, is a great thing to do. And one expression of that support that we have is uh, we have a prayer event called Thy Kingdom Come uh, this coming Saturday. And uh, we've decided, you know, rather than pray together as a church next Monday, we're gonna say, let's go to the cathedral on Saturday and pray together for our city and for our nations. And I commend that event to you, details uh, in Outlook about that. But in a time when our city and our nation need to see the God of all hope moving uh, like never before, uh, we believe prayer works as we humbly come together in a united way and express faith, faith together, that God's kingdom would come and express itself uh, here in our lives. And uh, in these days when all these things have happened, we also believe that the Bible has words to speak and of hope, um, uh, of healing, and as, as well as lament. Uh, there's, there's words in here that are more challenging about how to really get our heads around uh, the life changing power of, of forgiveness in situations like this. To our leaders, it speaks of wisdom and of light in complex situations. To the perpetrators, it brings light, it brings conviction and uh, convinces people of righteousness. To communities, it calls us to reach out and to, to build healthy community 
healthy bridges one to another. And to all of us, it searches our own hearts and shows us the attitudes that are in here um, and to, to lead us to, to, to align our, our lives with good and with God um, as it speaks of redemption even in the darkest of days. It's a powerful book for our day and for our lives. And so we come to Jesus here in this passage and it's, it's interesting in Luke 24 uh, what Jesus' priority is. And uh, you know, his resurrection priority that we come to um, he asks people what their understanding is. You know, what do you understand about what's happened? You know, not about our day perhaps, but also about, about issues of faith. He, he, he then begins to reframe their understanding with, with what the Bible actually says. And, and then he eats with them too. Uh, a wonderful time, he just has that meal with them. And as a result of all of this, their eyes are opened. You know, that's our prayer. And there are definitely lessons that we can take away from this um, to eat with others uh, in our lives, people that we know, to ask them, you know, what's their understanding of the world in which they live in? And to look at how do these scriptures speak into their lives? Do we, do we know these well enough? Do we know the gospel well enough to be able to say this is relevant to every single part of life? And it's interesting that this is Jesus' priority. Um, I don't know what your priority would be if you came back from the dead. You know, what would be the first thing that you would do if you came back from the dead? Um, uh, you know, perhaps that says something about us. You know, if your first act after is to phone for a pizza, that would say something about you, perhaps. You know, if your first desire would be to get back to work, that would say something else, perhaps, about you. I mean, it's okay if you're Jack Bauer or Jason Bourne, we allow you to come back to life and go and save the world, that's fine. That's part of what we expect. But um, probably we'd want to hug a loved one. I don't know. Maybe, you know, if like Jesus with his brothers, he'd just want to say, I told you so. You know, that's... Uh, that's what he would do. But here's Jesus' priority, to eat with people, to ask people to reframe with the scriptures. And in a Riverside context, that's basically start a community group, start a life group, start an alpha group. Let's have some food together. Let's discuss life together. Let's open the scriptures together. And uh, if you're not part of one of those groups, let me encourage you, they're great places to grow and to learn uh, in our faith. But when Jesus starts off uh, with these guys, they don't know who he is. They're kept from recognizing him in verse 16. No, you can be physically alive. You can be intellectually alert and yet still spiritually blind. And here they don't see Jesus for who he really is, even though he's standing right with them. God has to open our hearts. God has to open our understanding. God has to open our eyes and our minds. And, and that was my experience before I was a Christian. And uh, it was very much like walking around like this with a cardboard box on my head. You know, that was me. I thought I, thought I, could, I could see life. I thought I could see quite well, actually. I was born like this. I don't know if you realize that. Um, I'm hoping you can still hear me while I'm in here. But uh, some of you are thinking that's the uh, best move you've made all day, Andy, but never mind. You know, I thought I understood relationships well. You know, I thought I understood where my life was going and what it was all about. I thought my friend, who kept tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Andy, you've got a cardboard box on your head. If you took it off, you would see a whole lot more in the world. I thought he was crazy. But as I grew into life, I realized that, see, it was a bit dark in here. Maybe darker than I first thought. It, it did begin to grow a little bit more frustrating. And as I listened more and more to this good news of Jesus, God tapped me on the shoulder and God opened my eyes, removed the box, and it's like suddenly I could see a whole lot more that I never really realized was there. And God opens our minds, God opens our understanding. And as I look around today, 
I see a few more cardboard boxes. There's a few people here with cardboard boxes on your heads. And as we go into this week, we will meet people like this. We will meet people with cardboard boxes on their heads. And we need to pray for them. Okay, we need to eat with them. We need to, we need to understand where they're coming from um, and start to open the, the Bible to them. Give them some insights of, of what this is about because spiritually people are blind just as I was. But secondly, we're slow to believe the Bible. You know, verse 25, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, when they described what had happened, the two uh, travelers actually speak very highly of this Jesus of Nazareth. He's a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and before the people. He was sentenced to death and crucified. But we'd hoped for more. We'd hoped for a lot more. We'd hoped he was gonna come and redeem and save and rescue Israel. Um, but it's now the third day since he died and nothing, nothing's really happened. I mean, there's some women went to the tomb and uh, apparently they couldn't find the body and they, they, saw, they said they saw some angels and stuff like that. But when we sent the lads along, well, you know, he wasn't there, but they didn't see any of that stuff. That's a bit humiliating when you say that and Jesus is actually standing next to you. But hey, okay. I don't know if you've ever got separated from your, your friends or your family. This happens regularly to me. So, uh, you know, we'll be in town and uh, my family will be together and I'll, I'll zip into a shop perhaps or I'll be off with my camera taking a picture and I've lost them all. And they think they've lost me. And then I sneak up behind and they're still talking about you. So they're still talking about you and you kind of come up right behind them. It's always quite an interesting conversation to listen into. It's a little bit like this here, except Jesus is actually there. They just haven't recognized who he is. And he says to them, how slow you are to believe all that was written beforehand by the prophets. Basically the Old Testament. So the first two thirds of this, this Bible, um, before Jesus ever came, hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever came, he's saying, don't you realize all of this had to happen? Okay, all of this suffering had to happen before I enter into my glory. Before things turn good, there is a, there's, a, there's a timeline to all of this. And uh, it's a little bit like coming to an exam and you come out of your exam at uni or college or whatever and you, you want to know where your certificate is and you want to know where your well-paid job is. And somebody says to you, no, don't you realize, didn't you read the prospectus? Didn't you read the course outline? Well, there's these modules that you're gonna do Okay, these exams, this is how it's going to be assessed. This is when you're going to sit this. And then it'll be marked and then it'll be all gathered together. Then you get your certificate. Then you get your graduation. Then you apply for your jobs. It doesn't just, it's not just like that. Did you not understand? Did you not read the prospectus? Did you not understand how, the, how it was all outlined? And it's a little bit like that here. You know, Jesus comes to them and says, didn't you realize? Have you not read the prospectus of how it's all meant to happen? Because it is all about Jesus. It's all about him. The whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus and uh, he's right at the center of all things. And his, his cross and his life casts a shadow right the way through the Old Testament and all of his future kingdom that is up ahead. It is all there um, for us to see. Jesus, God, his kingdom and his rescue plan for mankind. And so he starts this, what must have been the most amazing Bible study from the beginning of Genesis. And so he's there and he's like, okay, yeah, see Genesis, this is, this is about me. Except he doesn't say it's about me, this Jesus that you speak of, because he's not let himself known yet. And, and, and Exodus, that's, that's big J as well. And uh, Leviticus, yeah, that's JC, that's him. That's him there, and he's then there and there and there. Um, and, and he goes through the whole thing and he says, this, everything in here 
He connects it to himself and uh, goes all the way through the Bible. Okay, there's lots of st other stuff in there. There's moral teaching in there, but it's primarily not about that. There's this history and tradition in there, but it's primarily not about that. It's primarily all about Jesus. So let's start with prophecy in the Old Testament. You know, Old Testament prophecy foretells and predicts people, places, and events hundreds and hundreds of years before they come to pass to show us that these are not just man's words, but that God is behind this. These are God's words. You know, the God who knows all, the God who sees all, the God who has sovereign rule over all things. And uh, even as early as, uh, as Genesis, right at the beginning there, there's this prophecy, God's first prophecy, if you like, moments after man's rebellion, moments after he stepped away from God uh, in sin and rebellion. And thousands of years before Jesus would ever be born uh, of the Virgin Mary, God comes and says this, and he speaks to the serpent, to our enemy, to his adversary, to Satan uh, in the garden. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So sin has come into human history, but God will send a savior for sinners to rescue mankind. First of all, it says he, okay? What we're looking for here is a male child. It says he will be born of a woman, um, the first hint, if you like, of a virgin birth, because as you read through Genesis, all the genealogies, all the family histories are always down the male line. It's always the father, the grandfather, the great-grandfather. It's never the mothers. And yet here, it's very clear that he will be born of a woman, um, not of the dad. There's no hint there of the earthly father, only of the mum in the story, if you like. And so, a saviour would come to the world. He would be born a male, he would be born of a woman, no biological father, he would be conceived supernaturally so that he's not a mere man. This is God become a man. And he will battle with Satan. Like Satan will harm him and wound him, but ultimately he would defeat and crush Satan. So from Genesis chapter 3.15 onwards, there's an expectation that a woman will come who will give birth to a son who would be the saviour of the world. It's all about Jesus. And then Isaiah goes on and narrows it down and talks about the virgin will be with child. And then Micah goes on and he talks about how the saviour will be born in Bethlehem. And it goes on and on and on and on. And hundreds of them all the way through the Old Testament. Hundreds if not thousands of years before they ever happen. And some people would say, I, I don't think this book is inspired by God. But how then? How then? Who did? If it has that kind of information in to know the future like this, details about his birth, about his life, about his work, about his lineage, about his character, about his location, about his death, about his resurrection from the dead. And the two travelers say to Jesus, oh, Jesus died, oh, but we were hoping he'd rise and we were hoping he'd change things. And Jesus says, it's all in here, don't you believe? We're just, we're just not quite there yet. This is just about to happen. Don't you know what the scriptures say? So we need to read them, we need to understand them. Um, because they are the most important set of writings that are on this planet. Another way that the Old Testament explains to us something about Jesus and speaks to us is through events. So there are loads of events through the Old Testament. So for example, we take one, the Passover in the book of Exodus. Because at the end of Genesis, there's a, there's a very small family, well, smallish, about 30, 60 or so, and they are suffering from a massive famine. And so they take refuge in Egypt. And they move there. And over the next six, sorry, 400 years, uh, from Genesis into Exodus, this little family grows to be a few million, and it becomes a nation, which is Israel. 
But Egypt has got a new king. It's got a pharaoh who basically wants to be worshipped like a god. He's enslaved and uh, mistreated the people of God. And so the true God wants to deliver them. He wants to rescue them so that they're free to worship him. So the real God comes and challenges the false god of Pharaoh. And he says, I want you to let these people go. Otherwise, there'll be consequences. But Pharaoh hardens his heart and he wants to be God. And so he refuses. And the consequences are a series of escalating plagues. And he still won't uh, cooperate. So the plague of the firstborn comes. And with the firstborn of every family and every animal taken, unless, there's a way out, unless you do this act of faith, you take an animal and you sacrifice it for your sin and for your wrongdoing. And you take the blood and you daub it on the top of your house and down the sides. And if you do that on that night, then death will pass over that house, which is what the Passover is all about and leave it unscathed. But it's all about Jesus. It's a picture of what would come, the ultimate Passover lamb, that Jesus would come, he would sacrifice, he would give his life, so that our sin could be kind of taken away and God's judgment, God's wrath would pass over us. We would no longer be eternally separated from him forever because of our sin and shame. And so every event in the Old Testament speaks somehow of Jesus. A third way are the titles in the Old Testament um, that talk of Jesus, a whole variety of titles that are ultimately attributed to him. So take, for example, Isaiah and chapters 40 through to 66, those chapters on the suffering servant, this character, the suffering servant, 700 years before Jesus is born, and uh, that God would send a saviour, a son, who would be a suffering servant. And then 700 years later, Jesus comes as that suffering servant, and he says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And there are others in there as well, other titles. We looked at Daniel 7 a few weeks ago, the Son of Man coming in his glory, ruling and reigning, coming into history humbly as a man to set up a kingdom that will last forever. Loads of titles in the Old Testament, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, uh, and on and on they go. Um, Briefly, there's also what we call Christophanies. And these are where Jesus turns up in the Old Testament, okay? He, he, there's like these characters that turn up. So Abraham is speaking to someone and he's revealed to be God, right? Is that Jesus, the eternally existing son of God, the second member of the Trinity, stepping in somewhere? Exodus 32, Jacob wrestles all night with someone, okay? He wrestles with a man who turns out to be God, Jesus. Daniel, three, Danny's three friends in the fiery furnace. And while they're in the fiery furnace, a fourth character appears, another one who it says, like a son of the gods, Jesus. Isaiah has this great vision, Isaiah 6. And John refers to it in John 12 and says, Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of his glory. And, uh, and then we have what we call types, um, where somebody does something that's a little bit like Jesus. But when Jesus comes along, he does it bigger and better. So take human history, for example, starts with, with Adam, the first man, uh, as it were. And Jesus is called the last Adam because the first Adam sinned and brought sin into the world. The last Adam didn't sin and take sin out of the world. The first Adam, um, because of him, we inherit a sinful nature. The last Adam, Jesus, we inherit a new nature 
Through the first Adam, we're born sinners. Through the last Adam, we're born again, we're born of God. And so the Old Testament is full of all sorts of these different types that are then explained in the New Testament. The priest in the Old Testament, Jesus is our great high priest who mediates between us and God. He stands in the gap for us. Everything that happens in the Old Testament. So Abraham, you know, leaves his father's house and he goes to another land to start a new people. That's what Jesus did. He left his father's house in heaven and he came to start a new people. Isaac laid down his life on the altar as a sacrifice. Jesus lays down his life for us. Joseph is betrayed and reckoned dead, but ultimately rescues many. It points to Jesus. Moses delivers his people from slavery and brings them freedom, points to Jesus. Job, an innocent man who opposed by Satan with friends that have no help to him much, are ultimately vindicated by God, points us to Jesus. Jesus is greater than each of these. And every single story parallels or foreshadows some aspect of Jesus' story. He's greater, he's a greater Abraham, he's a greater Isaac, he's a greater Joseph, he's a greater Moses, he's a greater Job, he's a greater David. And therefore, when we read the Old Testament stories, we need to always be looking at what does this say? How does this point towards Jesus? Because ultimately, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus, every bit of it. And so no wonder the travelers there, as Jesus opens all of this up and he goes, virtually every page of this is about me. And they say, were not our hearts burning within when he opened up the scriptures to us and he talked on the road with us. And the encouragement here is that through all of these things, God opens people's eyes. God opens our eyes so that we can see who Jesus is, that we can see that he is God, that he is king, that he is the rescuer. He is actually what this whole life is all about on this planet. And uh, if, if people you know, in your family, at work, in your community, in your class, in your team, your sports team, whatever, if they don't see Jesus for who he is, we're not to get frustrated, but we're to pray for them. We're to keep finding ways to open up the scriptures to them, to teach them, to answer their questions and the questions that they have, to drop in some facts, some Bible facts into people's lives. You know, which, which of the Old Testament prophecies is your favorite one to point people to, to say, do you realize this was written hundreds of years before it actually came to happen? Um, and to give people that info. It may be you're here today and you've got questions. Ask the questions, you know, and be open to answers from the Bible because that is ultimately where we will find our answers. I don't think I, I was stupid before I was a Christian, you might disagree, but I do know I was blind. Um, I couldn't see it, okay? I thought people were so foolish to believe what they thought, and yet along the way, all of that has changed. And the first priority of Jesus here is simply to walk with people where they're at and to teach them the scriptures, to teach them the word of God, and to teach them about the fact that God has inspired these books and they're all about Jesus. And so they begin to realize that what's happening then is in here. And actually what's happening today is in here. Okay, there are things still to happen and there's still things working themselves out in the world. And as John prayed earlier on, the last chapter tells us that it all works out well um, as we put our faith and our trust in this book and in the person behind it, Jesus himself.